You're listening to a sermon from Red Door Church in Melbourne. For more information, go to reddoorchurch.com.au. The reason that we've come to this series is because for a vast majority of us, we've come to Red Door from negative past experiences that we still carry today or have had negative experiences here. And so what does it look like to not only grapple with, wrestle with being hurt in the church, but also heal from it? So in the last couple of weeks, we've looked at three different aspects of church hurt and healing. First week, we looked at loving the church, even when it hurts. Second week, Pastor Jono brought a word on biblical reconciliation in the church. And this week, we're going to look at healing in the church. What does it look like to move from a place of hurting to a place of healing? Now, when we look at the church, the Bible uses a variety of different images to describe the church. It's described as one body, it's described as the bride of Christ, as the kingdom. But I want to introduce a new word picture, an image that's not, uh, you won't find it in the scriptures, but I think it holds up as a biblical picture that of the church as God's greenhouse. Right? If you know what a greenhouse is, it's a holding room for plants in which they, they grow. And gardening imagery is filled throughout the Scriptures. The Bible begins with a garden and it ends with a garden, with a tree of life being situated in the new heavens. Even the words Paul uses in the New Testament to describe the church are gardening images. He says God, uh, uh, Paul planted the church, Apollos watered the church, and God gives the growth. Jesus himself describes himself as the true vine that we are connected to, and God as the vine dresser, the gardener. I think there's justified language. But more than that, there's a reason I want us to have the image of a greenhouse in our minds as we talk about church hurt. Because as I did research, as I looked into this topic, for, uh, for almost every single article had a five-step list of things to do in order to be healed. But if you've interacted at all with grief or pain or hurt or loss, you'll know that healing isn't a five-step program that you finish and get healed from. It's a process that happens over time, like a greenhouse. Any keen gardener will know that you don't follow five steps and then automatically there's a plant. You create environments in which plants and seeds flourish in order to bring them to maturity. And that's what a biological greenhouse is. It's a place in which plants can be planted and given warmth and heat and light and protected from the harsh environments outside so that they can reach full maturity and then be planted in the world. The church is much the same. It's a place in which we receive heat and warmth and light, an environment that God has designed to both protect us from the harsh world outside and prepare us in full maturity to leave the greenhouse and head out into the world. I think it stacks up. Every church is going to have a different ecosystem. But I believe that when we look at the Scriptures, when we look at what God has to say about healing, there are going to be different environments. 
that must occur in order for us to aid and foster healing and reconciliation. And so we're going to look at five different environments that we as the church, as the body, as God's bride, can cultivate in order to aid healing. And so before we begin, I want to pray for us. Father, we are your children and you are our Father. You see all of our hurts and our pains, and it breaks your heart. But I pray, Father, that as we interact with this topic, we would not only experience confession of everything that's happened in our lives, but we would experience true healing in our hearts this morning. That the pain that we carry, the hurts that we carry, would be given to you. That we would begin this process of healing and restoration. Let us be the kind of church where not only do we hurt, but we heal. Heal us this morning, Father. We pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Well, friends, if we look at the life of Paul, the apostle, a great church planner, we can see that he loved the church, he cherished the church, he treasured the church, he was all in for the sake of the gospel. He endured many things so that the gospel would be spread out and reach more and more people. He faced death. He faced being stoned. He faced disease and hunger and opposition and cold nights and long days. He was someone who was willing to put it all on the line so that the gospel could be preached. He loved the church. And yet, We can see from the life of Paul that he was a man who was hurt by the church. He wrote two letters to the church in Corinth. We think there's more that have disappeared throughout history, up to four. But in the second letter Paul writes to the church in Corinth, we start to see some of the accusations that Corinthians has against him. They describe him as a false apostle. They describe him as a cowardly and timid man in person. They describe him as a boaster, an arrogant man. They describe him as a deceiver of men. Paul was slandered against by a church that he dearly loved. And so he knows intimately what it feels like to be hurt by the church, hurt by people that you care about and have invested into. And that's why it is incredibly encouraging for us to witness Paul's letter to the church in Corinth and to see the witness of what he writes to them. So we see this in 2 Corinthians. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm, because we know that just as you share in our suffering, so also you share in our comfort. Paul was experiencing deeply profound 
hurt in the church in Corinth, but the thing that he writes to remind them of is the comfort available to them in Christ and through each other. Just take notice of how many times Paul says the word comfort in five verses. The God of all comfort who comforts us in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those in affliction with the comfort which we ourselves are comforted by God. Through Christ we share abundantly in comfort. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort. Our hope for you is unshaken. We know that you share in our sufferings. You will also share in our comfort. Paul, despite the incredible affliction and opposition he received in the church of Corinth, was a man who was deeply comforted by God. Comfort is an experience of calling on the name of God and experiencing His presence in that, His presence in our affliction. It's not the removal of everything that is discomforting, but the presence of God who comforts us and enables us to comfort each other. This is the first thing that every church must do in order to aid and foster healing is to cultivate a culture of comfort over condemnation. One of the things that we know to be true is that hurt, pain, and loss are deeply, deeply discouraging. It is discouraging to be gossiped against. It is discouraging to be slandered against. It is discouraging to have people talk behind your back. It is discouraging to have your confession of sin not handled rightly. It is discouraging to be left out of the loop. And even the word gives us an insight into what it means. Discouraging. It means the loss of courage, the loss of comfort. And yet Paul in the middle of all his trials and his afflictions, both physical and emotional, found great comfort in God. Comfort is not the absence of stormy seas or seasons or situations. It's the experience of trusting the God who is sovereign over every sea and storm and situation. It's not the absence of affliction. Paul knew that, and so he calls on the church in Corinth to, to be comforted. We are to do the same. We are to comfort each other. The body is so intimately connected, so intertwined with each other, that our comfort in affliction will comfort each other. It's as the esteemed theologian Will Smith once said, we ride together, we die together. God has allowed others in our church to undergo affliction and pain in order to comfort you in your affliction. And so as a church, we must be cultivating a culture of comforting each other rather than abandoning each other and condemning each other and leaving each other to deal with our pains and our hurts. We must comfort one another with the same measure that God has comforted us. David Paulinson says it like this. When you've passed through your own fiery trials and found God to be true to what He says, you have real help to offer. You have first-hand experience of both His sustaining grace and His purposeful design. He has kept you through pain. He has reshaped you more into His image. 
what you are experiencing from God, you can give away in increasing measure to others. You're learning both the tenderness and the clarity necessary to help sanctify another person's deepest distress. God allows us to go through distressing situations so that we might be comforted and in turn comfort each other. A church that is healing will be a church that comforts each other. Second healing environment for the church, cultivating a healthy need for the local gathering. Let me just put it out on the table here. I am profoundly aware that as we talk about church hurt, it's not just something that happens out there in the other churches that are broken and messy and not something that happens in Red Door. There are people who have left our church because of being hurt by Red Door. There are people who are here this morning who are struggling to be at Red Door, to stay at Red Door because of relational hurt or disagreement or distrust of leadership or a million different things. We are aware of that. But that is not a reason to opt out of gathering in the local church. The church that hurts you may very well be the church that heals you. And if it is not this church, it will be another church. God say, uh, not God, Paul says this in uh, Ephesians chapter 4. It says, Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of Him who is the head, that is Christ. Now, why do I say this? Why do I point this out? Because God has given people, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers, apostles, to the church, to the local gathering, to the local body, in order that we may reach the full maturity in Christ. And so if we are desiring to be mature in Christ, God is going to use His body to do that. It is rare that we would ever pray to God, make me more like Jesus, help me make all of life all about Jesus, and God would not use His church to mature us. And so if we are going to be people who want to be like Jesus, walk like Jesus, talk like Jesus, love like Jesus, be wise like Jesus, then God is going to use his local gathering to mature us to be like Jesus and walk like Jesus. Hebrews says it like this, Hebrews 10. Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. So ask yourself this question. As, am I as committed to being made more like Jesus as I am to the local body that God has given me to be made more like Jesus? And if not, why not? Are you as committed to the 
to, to, to being made like Jesus as you are to the local body God has given you for the exact purpose of being made more like Jesus. One of the things that pain has a habit of doing is isolating us from each other. We want to isolate ourselves from community. We want to run away from other people. That's been my experience. Um, when I'm in pain, I don't want to talk to anybody. But God has actually given us the church. He's given us each other in order to aid our healing from our pains and our hurts. Sanctification is a community project. You cannot be sanctified alone. The idea of me and Jesus, it doesn't work when you hold up the Scriptures. Paul says we need the church. We need community. But let us not have a false view of what community looks like. Community looks like having a lot of awkward conversations with people you share little in common with. Community looks like taking old ladies to church and bringing new mums food. It looks like celebrating weddings and babies whilst you are waiting for your own. It looks like painful experiences sometimes, and yet that is what real community looks like. It looks like prayer meetings and baptisms and messy and awkward gatherings because it is the messy and awkward gathering that God is making beautiful. The third environment that will help foster healing is to cultivate a healthy culture of servanthood. Now, I'm, I'm also aware that when we talk about serving, people don't see that the link between the two. That it sounds like we're putting in a plug to get more people involved in Arrow Kids, more people involved in youth, when we're already hurt and tired and burnt out. But the two are not opposed. Not only do you need the church, but the church desperately needs you. It is valuable to know that you are valuable to the local church. You have spiritual giftings, teachings, wisdom, experiences, characteristics, personalities that God has given you for the purpose of building up the church. The church needs you. You are an indispensable part of the local body. It will not be full without your presence and your serving. 1 Corinthians 12 says it like this. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, read this, on the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, whilst our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. For if one part suffers, every part suffers. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. You are an indispensable part of the local church. 
It doesn't matter whether this is the first week that you've ever turned up at church and you believe in Jesus. It doesn't matter whether this is the 80th year of following Jesus. No matter how strong or weak you feel, you are an indispensable part of the local gathering. It is weaker for your absence. It is weaker for you not being here. One of the things that pain does to us is make us either feel unwanted or unneeded. These people don't need me. And God says, you are indispensable. God could have orchestrated the church in such a way that we just received and no one happened, no one did anything at all ever, but he hasn't. He uses his people as a means of building them up and build, making them full in Christ. He desires us to serve And it's been my experience time and time again that through serving, people often experience healing. They experience closeness and community in a way that they didn't when they weren't serving. That's not a a biblical reason. It's just, just, just a fact. It's an observable reality. There is wisdom that you have gained throughout your life that the church desperately needs. There is biblical knowledge that that you've gained throughout your life that the church desperately needs. From the age of five to the age of 500, the church needs you. Everyone needs you. Something else that happens in our pain is that we often disassociate from the church, that we cut ourselves off and isolate ourselves and head home and read the Bible on our own. But just be reminded... The church is weakened when you are not here. You're an indispensable part of what happens here. If you watched the footy last night, injuries play a, a big role. Gihan's excited. Collingwood had a good season. It's the first time in a long time. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> huh? But here's the thing. When there's two or three players missing from the team, when they get injured, the team struggles. And so does the church. We need everyone operating together so that we can do what God wants us to do, to make all of life all about Jesus together. The fourth environment that we must cultivate is an image of God as both present in and sovereign over our suffering. If we miss either aspect of this, or we so idolize one or so raise up one that we miss the other. We not only miss something incredibly profound, but we miss the face of God himself. Let me tell you, there is no one who understands your pain in the church like Jesus does. Let me read out this quote from Michael Horton talking about Jesus and the church. They mocked his mother, suggesting that she slept around They accused him of performing his miracles by the power of Satan. They ridiculed the company he kept. They lied about him and condemned him. When Jesus was at his most vulnerable point, they crucified him and the religious leaders continued mocking him, saying he saved others, but he cannot save himself. A person has endured, uh, no person has endured more violent abuse at the hands of church leaders than Jesus did. And because of that, he can comfort you like no one else can. Other people may be unaware of what you have had to endure, but Jesus isn't. He has wounds and promises that through his suffering, you can find healing. Jesus knows intimately every single inch of your pain. 
not only because he knows it, but because he has lived it out. And how can he promise to heal you? Because he's not only present in our pain, but sovereign over it. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the one sitting at the right hand of the Father who sees beginning from the end. God is sovereign and he uses his sovereignty to secure every single one of his promises to us. The reason that God is sovereign is so that he can deliver on what he promises. He is both present in and sovereign over our pain. Many of us have had experiences within the church that have shaped our theology of God. Our experience has shaped who we see God as. Our experience has shaped the image of God in our minds so that we no longer either see Him as present, God is not in this with me, or we don't trust Him in His promises. God does not see me, He does not care, He is not there. But my experience has been time and time again that when we see God as both present in our suffering and sovereign over it, we will be comforted. Let me tell you, last year, Sarah was going through cancer, and the amount of just terrible advice that we received was incredible. I, I was on a ride, and my, my dad called me up, and he said, uh, James, I, I know it's a tough time. I've just been watching a documentary. What Sarah really needs to do is cut out sugar, because sugar feeds cancer. That, now we can go, yeah, that's a dumb thing. And having known a bunch of people go through terrible life circumstances, the advice is endless from cutting out sugar to goji berries to coconut juice. It's all terrible. Who cares? But yet we do the same thing in the church all the time. Because what we do is not give people goji berries or coconut juice. What we give them is platitudes and what people need more than anything else is Jesus and God a God who is present in and sovereign over our pain. Don't give people platitudes. Give them God. Don't say it'll get better around the corner. Don't say God works in mysterious ways. Remind people of the gospel, that God experienced profound suffering, that he died on the cross, and yet he did this to secure our eternal security in Christ. Don't give people platitudes. Point them to Jesus. Susanna Spurgeon said this, the wife of Charles Spurgeon, she experienced profound suffering. I've got one tattoo, but if I was going to get another one, I'd get this, tattoo it on my chest. You couldn't see it, but I'd know it's there. The soul that has learned the blessed secret of seeing God's hand in all that concerns it cannot be a prey to fear for it looks beyond all second causes, straight into the heart and will of God, and rests content because he rules. Let me say it again. The soul that has learned the blessed secret of seeing God's hand in all that concerns it cannot be a prey to fear. He looks beyond all second causes, every single thing that has happened to you, straight into the heart and will of God, and rests content because he rules rules. God is sovereign. He is in control. He is working it out. He will finish what he started. The fifth and final environment of healing in the church is to cultivate a posture of forgiveness towards those who have done you 
harm. And as I was putting together this sermon, putting together this series, I was trying to weigh up where, where do we put forgiveness because it's vital. It is perhaps the most vital environment that we can cultivate, yet do we put it first or in the middle or at the end? Because the truth is that forgiveness both precedes all these things, it's both intertwined with all these things, and it follows all these things. Forgiveness is not usually a once-off event. I forgive you and then we just let it go. Forgiveness is a continual decision to not treat someone like their sins deserve, just like Jesus does to us. Jesus doesn't forgive us in a moment. He continually has forgiven us. Ephesians 4 says it like this. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. God treats you as his children, even though you have acted like criminals. And so when people have hurt us, we treat them not like their sins deserve. On the cross, God not only forgave us, but freed us. And when we cultivate postures of forgiveness, we not only free them, we free ourselves. Because the truth is, what often we cultivate in church is not a posture of forgiveness, it's a posture of bitterness. Because what we do is, we are sinned against, and rather than forgiving them or dwelling on that, what we do is we gather up every single hot coal of offense that has been picked up against us and hold it in our hands, waiting for the prime opportunity to throw it into someone's face and say, ha, now you know what it feels like. But the person who picks up hot coals is the person who gets burned. And for so many of us, what reigns in our hearts is not forgiveness, but bitterness and hatred and anger. Forgiveness strips hatred of its power. It strips bitterness of its power. It strips anger of its power. Romans 12 says like this, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. What a, what a powerful verse. As far as it depends upon you, live at peace with everyone. Restoration is not always going to be possible in broken relationships. But a posture of forgiveness doesn't need to wait for restoration. It goes first. It says, I'm, not, I'm going to choose to cultivate forgiveness towards you even if the relationship is not restored, even if confession is not procured. I choose to forgive you because the truth of the matter is if we are not submitting to the spirit in this often the one who has been sinned against becomes the one who sins against how often it is that the the person who is gossiped against becomes the gossiper how often it is that the person who is slandered against becomes the slanderer how often it is that the person who has been dishonored becomes the dishonorer we know this to be true. Two weeks ago, we're sitting in a youth ministry on Tribes on Tuesday, and we were talking about gossiping. We were talking about what is your experience of being gossiped against or gossiping. And, and Sarah was sharing from her tribe that the response was that when we're gossiped about, our primary response is to gossip about other people. Well, they did me wrong, so I'm going to do them wrong. Now we're on a playing level field. And the thing is, teenagers are just more honest adults. Because we like to laugh and say, ah, youth. But isn't that just our experience? Aren't we so quick to throw 
at those who have thrown against us, so quick to lie about those who have lied to us. Cultivating a posture of forgiveness strips the power from Satan and of our flesh towards our bent towards sinning against each other. If we don't do this, we will live in perpetual unforgiveness. We will cultivate all these types of unhelpful fruit, bitterness, anger, wrath, malice, envy, jealousy. Posture cuts them, forgiveness cuts them down. They strip it of its power. So the question is, will you treat people like they deserve or will you treat people like Jesus has treated you? Forgiven you despite your continual sinning against him, even as a Christian. We must be slow to treat people like their sins deserve when Christ has been so slow to treat us like our sins deserve. And I'm very aware that this is not a five-step program. This is not the kind of deal where we go, okay, uh, I know who God is. He's sovereign and present. Okay, I I know that I must forgive people. I know that um, I must be at church. Great, I've done. Fixed. Right, I'm healed. Magic. That's not how it works. This is not Jack and the magic beanstalk that he plants the next day, like flying up to the heavens. No gardener expects that of their garden. No gardener procures all the seeds and plants them and waters them and then the next week goes, ah, they should be ready now. Where's my tomatoes? No gardener does that. But the gardener knows that in the greenhouse, day by day, week by week, Sunday by Sunday, small group by small group, that the plant that has been planted will grow up into full maturity because the environment around them has secured it. It is like this in the church. That when our environments are orientated towards Jesus, orientated towards being part of his people, orientated towards forgiving people, orientated towards knowing him truly, orientated towards comforting each other and being part of his blessing to each other, day by day, week by week, Sunday by Sunday, we will experience the hardness of our hearts being melted off. God will give us new hearts. He will restore us, either now or in eternity. But I truly believe that God wants to heal us. He is a healing God. He doesn't want us to carry around the burdens of of conflict. And so I'm going to encourage you. I'm going to pray in a moment. We're going to get the band up. But if you are someone who has been sinned against and you're holding on to that, ask God for help. Ask God to release you from that snare. Ask God to help you be a part of his people. Ask God to help you see the church as Jesus sees it. Help, ask God to help you forgive others. On our own strength, we will not do it, but in the Spirit, I believe that God will not only heal us, restore us, and see us attain full maturity in him. Let me pray. I encourage you to pray with me. Father, will you just pray? There are many of us who carry burdens that were not intended for us to carry. We're carrying hurts and pains and shame that we are not intended for our backs. I pray this morning and next morning and next Sunday and the Sunday after it that you 
melt our hard hearts, that you melt the offenses against us so that we might be healed and restored in you. I pray that your spirit does a transformative work in us this morning, not only transforming our hearts, but so that we would be orientated towards building each other up rather than tearing down. That we would see ourselves as one connected body, all plants in the greenhouse. That we would not be pushing each other down, but building each other up. Whether we are weak or strong, we are indispensable. We pray this in the spirit and by the precious name of Jesus. And everyone said, Amen.